0: Happy New Year! Once again, we're glad that you have joined us this morning. We're excited to start a new series for the first half of the year here in the Roanoke Valley Church through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you have an Old Testament, you can make your way to the book of Ezra. And uh, behind me, we'll have some slides to help you follow along. Uh, So by way of introducing a new series and by way of introducing a new book, uh, particularly one of the historical books of the Old Testament, uh, we need a little bit of a history lesson. We've got to get caught up to speed into all of this. Uh, so that's exciting to me. Uh, some of you may be excited by that. Some of you uh, may not. Uh, but this is God's word. So let that uh, remain true in your minds as we go through all of these things. But uh, the danger in jumping into a book, uh, again, as the Bible is constructed, it's one big story from beginning to end as to how God has worked and moved in the world and how he will work and move in the world Again and again, and again. So when we jump in, it's kinda like uh, jumping into the middle of Grandma's letter. Like, you wouldn't do that. You would start at the beginning and you'd read all the way through. Uh, You may go back and reference certain parts of Grandma's love letter to you, uh, but generally when you're starting anew, you start from the beginning. So some of that has to bring us up to speed this this morning. So that's a a little bit of of my job. So here we go. Uh, What we are jumping into is the Israelite people in captivity during this time. We have uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. That's a, a depiction of him up there behind me. Uh, that, that he invades Jerusalem on a couple of occasions. The first one is in 605 B.C. And If you remember, uh, the years get smaller as we go. So again, that can be confusing. You're like, what happened first? You're backwards up there. So anyway, we're we're moving, uh, we're moving in descending numerical order here. So 605, King Nebuchadnezzar invades Jerusalem. He invades again in the second date there, 587, and it's that time where he destroys the temple. All right, So it's the temple of Solomon. He destroys the temple, and there begins the mass exodus, or the exile of God's people, to Babylonia. All right, So that's, that's the moment not only that they ransack the temple, <clears throat> but they take, its, they take the gold, they take the silver, they take the, uh, the lampstands, they take everything with them. And that happens on a number of occasions for the Israelites, right? even with the Romans again uh, later, and again we'll see with King Cyrus in a bit. So this is where we are in the book of Ezra, 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar has taken over Israel or Jerusalem, has brought them back to Babylonia, that's all going down. Secondly, <clears throat> what we'll see in this text here in the beginning of Ezra is Babylonia has ruled, and then a king which was promised, King Cyrus, who is who's from Medes or Persia uh, or modern-day Iran, he actually rises up and comes and takes over Babylonia, takes over uh, the, the, con- the concentration of Jerusalem in 539. So this is King Cyrus, nice profile shot. Uh, I really would love to get a helmet like that. It would be really sweet. So <clears throat> on 538, that's an Israelite there, Shezbazar, he leads the first wave out. So what we'll see in Ezra right off the bat is that King Cyrus will have his heart stirred by God to release, release the Jews back to Jerusalem. So they're there in, in, in Babylonia. Cyrus takes over all of that and says, you know what, I'm not just taking over Jerusalem. I want you guys to be able to, to, to leave Babylonia and go back home. And this is a pagan king whose heart is moved by God to let his people go. Sound familiar? Sounds like Exodus, where God hardens Pharaoh's heart, but stirs his heart nonetheless, just in a different direction, to let his people go. And we'll see this time and time again. And really what Ezra is meant to remind us is that this is God's theater. And we are a part of the show. And God will move and shake and move and shake to his end. And he has control of the kings and the authorities, and he is moving in his direction. And as God's people who are familiar with looking around and seeing things that are not as as likely or not as hopeful as we would see or not as typical as we would want or things that we would love to change, it's important for us to be reminded That God's heart is not lost in any of this, and his end will come. God has won the story of creation. He will restore creation to his original plan. And as God's people, we are in the art and the practice of seeing him do that and waiting for him to do that all the more. And like the Israelites, we get impatient, don't we? Like the Israelites, we stray and we start to look at the gods that are around us, little g, and we start to follow them and put our hope in them. We mix things up to the point where we see the consequences of that come into our lives and into our children's lives. Yes? Anybody there? Yeah, Yeah, we've all been there and that's where we are. But God, in who he is, stirs both believer and non-believer alike to move the timeline towards his end. And whether we see it or not, it's important for us today in 2023, in the beginning of the new year, to be reminded once again that God is on the move, that this is His theater. He's moving and shaking and moving and shaking. And we, if you're a disciple of Jesus, have the privilege to watch and to be a part of the theater of God. Now, this isn't a cheap admission. This isn't something you just watch as an observer, so the analogy of theater does drift off eventually. But it really is a sense that we are watching God move, and a lot of us being in the theater is watching and waiting. But there are directives from God, as we see, to help us be a part of his show, if you will. So today, and our theme for the entire year is Rise. And we just sang a song <clears throat> about it. And what we'll see in this book, in its partner book in Nehemiah, those two books are often, uh, even early on, are considered one book, two volumes. So <clears throat> Grandma's letter, first part's Ezra, second part is Nehemiah. They are not meant to be split up. So if you do a study of Nehemiah, you're actually starting in the middle of the story. So go back and study Ezra and then study Nehemiah. So we'll do both of these books. They're always meant to, meant to be studied in such a way. So in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, here's the recap. Ready? They're in exile. God delivers them. They go back. They go back to their gods. God rises up a prophet to help them repent. They go back and do what they did before. They repent again. They try to build something. They get opposition. They quit. They start building and finish. They repent. They fall. They repent. They fall. Sound sound familiar? What you'll see in these two books. This book has often been preached when a church is trying to build a church. Like some type of program to let's rouse up the troops to raise funds so that we build something. Because Ezra, they're going to build two things. The temple, and then Nehemiah, they're going to build the wall. So these two books, shamefully, can often be preached to a church to say, you know what, now's the time to build. And it might be something physical, that a minister or a church or a board wants to build. That's not why we're studying these two books. Why we're studying these two books is I believe, God, have put this on my heart, that we need to be reminded that our efforts to build will fail. That every effort we do to build something for ourselves will fail. That we are a part of God's story, we are a part of His theater, and when we when we follow him, he will build it and it will last. But when we try to build something even for God, but live in such a way that's not for God, it will not work. And that's what we see in these two these two books. Is you and me. You will see yourself in these books. But what's most important is that you will see God and who he is in these books. Does that make sense? so they're in exile and Sheth Bazar leads them out and they're back, heading back into, to, to Jerusalem uh, chapter 2 is literally a list of all the people that are coming back, we are not going to study that next week Amen. Okay, so read that on your own, it's a list which I think God is, shows us something, if you want a quick practical God knows who you are and God knows who are his and he knows if you're coming back or if you're staying back and that's what we see. Not everyone wanted to leave Babylonia. They didn't. And not all those who were faithful came back. So we'll pick up in chapter 3 next week where they rebuild the altar. What I want to uh, point out here before we get into our text is that this book and all that's happenings was prophesied. You're not going to be able to read it unless you've got like 25, 25 vision. I don't know if that exists. But these are texts from the prophet Isaiah, who were written... Uh, let's see, what's the date up there? Ooh, sneaky. My memory's not that great. Uh, I don't have all that written. Well, I have it somewhere. I'm relying on my slides, which is dangerous. But anyway, uh, if we get it, we'll get it. No? Okay. Thanks, Xavier. No worries. Well, a little bit of worry, but not, not enough to derail me too much. Uh, so in Isaiah, we're talking 700 BC. So we're talking at least plus 200 years uh, prior to what we'll see uh, here with, with Nebuchadnezzar, who comes and ransacks Israel. Is it back up there? You guys look. So Prophet Isaiah written 740, 701 BC. That's the time which So 40 years of writing this letter. These texts up here are examples of how, the, how God stirs men's hearts. Not all great examples... But they're how God moves in the heart, hearts of men. We see here in Je- Jeremiah is also one up there too. We'll get to the prophet Jeremiah. But Isaiah thirteen, see, I will stir up against them the Medes. That's where Cyrus is, or that's where Cyrus is from, the uh, Medes or Persia. Isaiah forty one, who has stirred up one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his service. He hands nations over to him <clears throat> and subdues. Kings before him, I have stirred up one from the north, and he comes. One from the rising sun, who calls on my name. He treads on rulers as if they were mortar, as if he were a potter treading the clay. This is these are this are hundreds of years prior to Cyrus coming into Jerusalem, and eventually bringing back the, the Jews from Babylonia to Jerusalem. So why is this important? It reminds the people of God, these are their prophets. They've heard these letters read. They've read these in temple. They've had these in their hearts memorized. Why is that important? During exile, they're relying on God's word and what he will do. You think about how you would make it. I often wonder that. How do you think you would fare if you were ripped from everything you knew? How would you fare if all of a sudden like Daniel, who's in the midst of this, by the way, would not only be ripped from your homeland, but you'd be forced to learn a new language. Your gods would be rejected. You'd be forced to eat totally different. Everything you knew is gone. How would your faith go? What would you have to rely on? You can't thumb through your Bible. Your iPad doesn't work in this new territory. You can't pull up Bible Gateway. What do you rely on? You remember the Word of God. You remember what the prophets have said. The people in this time period of Nebuchadnezzar before, Cy- before Cyrus are relying on their prophets. They're relying on what God has said 200 years before, generations before. What your dad taught you, what your grandfather taught you, that's what they're recalling. And that's here what Isaiah is saying. Things that they would have heard from their fathers and grandfathers, from their mothers and grandmothers. These things that God's gonna stir up someone from the north and from the east and I want you to put yourself in their shoes when they hear about a guy named Cyrus the truth is they would have already heard of him because he was prophesied that he would be king hundreds of years before he came to reign by our prophets not only in Isaiah but the prophet Jeremiah prophesies in, 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 in Jeremiah chapter 25. I have that up here. <clears throat> it's a lot to read. But it's so good, so we're going to read it. It says, Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. So again, prophesied uh, 600 100 plus years prior to, to Nebuchadnezzar coming and actually doing this. So Jeremiah tells them, I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. I will banish them from the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will be a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. Hundred plus years prior to its happening, Jeremiah prophesied to the people of Jerusalem, people of Israel repent. You're living a way that's against God, so therefore, you need to be taught a lesson. And these neighboring countries are going to come in, and they're going to wipe this out so that we would learn. And it's 100 plus years. The people who initially heard it weren't alive when it happened, but many of, some of them were. And when Nebuchadnezzar, who's written by name in this prophecy, shows up at their gates, what do you think came to their hearts? Jeremiah said this would happen. And boom, for 70 years. Years. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 29. Many of us know this verse. I know the plans I have for you, plans for you to hope, not plans for you to prosper, for you to have hope. We love that scripture. This was a scripture written to the exiles, written to the people who were under the thumb of Nebuchadnezzar. I have great plans for you, plans for you to prosper, for you to have hope in a future. These are the words that they're hearing. But Jeremiah says this this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And this is the verse we often often quote. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. And what we often skip, what's not crocheted on your pillow, is that that all happens so that you will come and seek me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all of your heart. I will be found by you, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, and will bring you back to a place from which I carried you into exile. God is saying, I have great plans. I'm going to bring you back. And I pray that when I bring you back from where I have banished you, we have, you have a heart that wants to seek The Lord wants to pray and to know he promises us. When you pray, I will listen to you. These are words to the exiles. These are words to a people who are caught in the middle of where they don't want to be, but are reminded of where they want to be and where they can be, what God is up to in the world. That God's moving and shaking. I want to be there. I want to be a part of what he's doing. That's what these exiles are thinking. I think there's many of us who have turned the calendar, that magical day of December 31st to January 1, wanting to be in a new place, wanting to escape whatever happened in 2022, who are looking forward to a new hope, somewhere to prosper, somewhere to actually grow, somewhere that's different. What I'm here to tell you is that it won't be any different. 2023 won't be any different if you don't do the second half of this famous passage, that if we don't seek with all of our heart, if we don't pray so he can listen, if those things are absent from our desire to see something new, we'll find ourselves right back where we were. Which is again, as I said, Ezra and Nehemiah just tell us that over and over again. God comes through, they go back. God comes through, they go back. Sounds like my life. How about yours? What I love about God is that as we read these books of the Old Testament, we know a privileged people. We know the end of the story. We know the promised one who's to come. The one they could only hope and dream about. Who they thought might be a prophet coming their way. But we know the prophet that we know came our way is no one but Jesus. Who frees us from not just a, a king, but frees us from, from slavery. But frees us from the slavery of sin. And all that, the consequences of that that have come our way. So all I'm trying to do at this point is to To make a point that God had all this this theater playing out hundreds of years for the sake and for the benefit of God's people so that they would learn, so they would turn, so they would pray, so they would seek him with all their hearts. I don't know what we're all going through or what 2022 uh, was or honestly, what already 2023 has brought us It's only been eight days, not even eight days, and there's been plenty of drama from your mama. It's plenty going on already. But what I hope that has taught us is that, you know what, I want to seek God. I want to be near him. I want to hold on to his words and that God is moving, and I want to be a part of it. Jeremiah talks about the same thing that that Isaiah said. Someone who's going to stir up and destroy Babylon. That's Cyrus. And here, in Daniel, who's in the midst of all of this. If you know your, know your Bible, you know Daniel was taken and brought to Babylonia. He was there, and he writes, he writes here in Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, again, a, a Persian or a Mede, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, Darius is after Cyrus. I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. What you'll see is that the 70 years of Babylonian captivity was spot on, it was exactly 70 years. They were brought out in the year 586, and they began to rebuild in 516, exactly 70 years. Now, Daniel is halfway, at this time of this writing, is halfway through the 70 years. Imagine yourself being there. You're halfway. You're 35 years in, and you pray To the Lord. You petition, if you read the rest of this chapter, Daniel confesses the sins of all Israel. He knows they've messed up, and he's begging and pleading, God, come back. Restore us. Bring us back to your pleasantries. Bring us back, bring us back, bring us back. 35 years. 35 years, and it happens. But if you know your Bible, it's there in Daniel chapter 9, where the archangel Michael shows up to Daniel, and he says, you, highly esteemed, From the moment you started praying, I was on my way to you. And he talks about this this cataclysmic, up in the upper realms of, of, of the spiritual realms, angels fighting, or not, well, demons and angels fighting. He says, I was on my way to you, but I got caught up with another king over there, and I needed help, and there's all this stuff going on. But here he prays, and the angels are moving to bring this day about. And what are we to learn? What do we learn to learn about all of this? Sounds cool. God is working. We are in his theater. And what is unseen is seen to him. And 35 years, for some of us, that's like more than you've been alive. Uh, that's almost double my life. You think waiting for something for 35 years seems preposterous? Shoot, waiting for 3.5 days is late if you order from Amazon. We, we stink at waiting Now, i'm not asking god to make us wait i just think we stink at it but god's working and god's moving and why all is this in here why are we studying this why are we doing all the history you might be like why 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 what are we meant to learn there are passages in the new testament that remind us why all these things happened why all these things happened so that we here in 2023 could be informed by who God is, what he's done in history, so that as we move forward, we can rise with him. This is the text that's written. Uh, Cyrus is in there. I'm I'm getting off here. This is actually Ezra 1. But uh, here we go. Romans 15, to answer this question, why? What are we supposed to learn? For everything, Old Testament, that was written in the past was written to teach us that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. Why is this written? So that we can be encouraged. Why is all the Old Testament there? So that we can have hope. 2 Timothy, the previous scripture there, teaches us there. Let me go back to it. Where Paul was writing to Timothy, he says there that these scriptures, all scriptures, Old Testament, are there to make you wise wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we know that applies to the spirit-infused New Testament as well, but here Paul is telling Timothy, who had no New Testament to flip through or scroll scroll through, these lessons, those stories exiles and consequences and returns and repentance all there to make us wise for salvation so that you and I can be encouraged rebuked even corrected trained so that we can be equipped prepared for every good work you want to do something for God this year You want to be useful? You want to be discerning? You want to see God move? You want to partner with him and be a part of all that God is doing in his theater? you got to be wise for salvation. You need to let God's stories of faithfulness hit our hearts once again. In Ezra chapter 1, and you say, finally, let's read. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah... The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. So Jeremiah prophesied about this, and here it goes. It's fulfilled. Verse 2, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and, God, and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought with Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out of Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. There you go. And all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Sheshbazar brought all of these along with him, with the exiles, when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. God is stirring hearts today. God stirred the hearts of a pagan king in Cyrus, prophesied by J- Jeremiah, and here we go. 150 plus years before, Cyrus comes into the picture, and he decrees It's time to go back. You're allowed to go back. And not only that, he decrees that the people, the neighbors, their their people around them are going to assist them with gold and silver and livestock. What does that sound like? Sounds like the Jewish exile from Egypt. This is impossible. This is impossible that a pagan king who just came in and conquered would release you and then fund it. This is impossible the jews to even think about what happened back in egypt this is their passover story this is the story of stories they sit around all the time and remember what god had done that only he took them out of slavery but he funded the trip and when they built the temple initially in solomon you know what all those all those things moses and the, the excuse me the tabernacle in the wilderness all those things they they built where did that come from those were egyptian goods and over and over again, God does this. This is the third time, and you think they'd get it. But I don't know about you, I don't know how many times God's got to do the same thing or remind me of what he's done for me to get it. What I love about this is that God is stirring hearts. He stirred the heart of Cyrus, a king. Unbelievable. And I think it's important for us to know that God is still in the business of stirring hearts. God's, God moved his heart, and then in verse 5, to those whose, God, whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord. Now, theologically, you can wrestle with this and say, oh, what does it mean for God to stir my heart, or God to stir people's hearts, or God to harden someone's heart like Pharaoh? Don't we have free will? Don't we have choice? Is God just kind of zapping people and making them do what they want to do? Well, I'm not going to say that God doesn't do that. I think we do have free will, but God knows what you're going to do before you do it, or else you wouldn't be God. He can still know and not force. He can still know and not manipulate. He can still know and, still, and, and bring it out without, you know, zapping you uh, or making you do something you don't want to do. These are the hearts of people. People are stirred by all types of stuff. What we see here, what I believe is more, more apparent in verse 5, what I believe is that the people whose, God, whose heart God stirred It wasn't God saying, okay, you guys are the ones, stir it up, you guys are the ones. But I believe these are the people who hung on to prophecy, whose heart God stirred through what? His word. His word, specifically there in verse 1. It says, fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet, but it's God's word he was speaking. It's inspired by God. God is stirring people through Jeremiah. He's stirring people through. Daniel. He's stirring people through events. Haven't you been moved by God through current events? You're moved by certain things. I remember I was a freshman in college when the, t- the Twin Towers in New York were hit. I was living a life of drunkenness and girl chasing and all kinds of stuff, but that stopped me in my tracks. I never read the Bible, but I came home, or came back to my dorm, and I was reminded of a scripture in John 16 that talks about the enemies of God attacking and claiming that they're doing it uh, for God. That's just one scripture I remember. It did nothing for me in regards to seeking God, but it was a stopping point and a scripture was on my heart. And there I was, stirred by God to think about him. Tragedy does that. Gifts do that. We're not just stirred by God. Ooh, we are stirred by God through all things if, if you let him. God is always trying to stir our hearts, and we see that He's able to stir even the most impossible of hearts. Take a moment to think about whose heart you would love God to stir. Maybe it's a government official. Maybe it's a current president or a future president. Maybe it's neighbors. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's you. God, stir my heart again. Stir me into action. Let my heart be moved. You know, I've been praying for everybody else. It's time for my heart to be stirred. I wish my husband would be different. I wish my wife would be different. How about God help me be different? I wish our government would get into action. How about God help me get into action? I wish my parents would stop doing this. Well, help me to be a better parent. God, stir my heart. That's scary to pray. Because if God can stir Cyprus or Cyrus, God can stir you. God, who's or Cy, Cyrus, who's a pagan king, conqueror, bloodthirsty, who's not sitting here at the YMCA on Sunday morning trying to hear the word of God, he's not there. But his heart was stirred by God. The fact that you're here, you want your heart to be stirred. And that's awesome. God stirs hearts. People who were holding on to the hope that was in them through the preaching and prophesying of God's people, they were ready. So that when the time came, they were ready to move. God stirs hearts and I pray that for this year and always, but especially as we are here now with no knowledge of what's to come, that we are ready to have our hearts stirred. And what does that take? It takes time in God's word. It takes time in prayer. It takes time around God's people. So that when the moment comes to get up, your heart's been prepared. God has the ability to take someone like Cyrus, who is not moving and shaking with God, and then get going right away to what God wanted fulfilled. How much more so, like verse 5, can we be men and women who position ourselves to be moved by God's word? We're hearing it. We're listening to it. We're meditating on it. We're talking about it. We're praying through it. How much more without that prepare our hearts to be stirred and, like them, be prepared to go up and build the house? This shows me a couple things here just to wrap it up. What this shows me, and what I believe the book of Ezra will show us, is that one, God keeps his word. He prophesied about it. It's going to come true. He said this was going to happen. It happened. Let that encourage you. Let that fill you up this year. God said it. It's going to happen. I believe these people rested on those promises, rested on those prophecies. For us, we have the end of the story. If we were to sit down, with one of these exiled people who came back and saw all this moving and shaking from God, and they were able to hear about our testimony of our knowledge of Jesus as to what He did and what He promised, they'd be wanting to sit at your feet. Oh, tell me about Daniel. Tell me about Cyrus. Tell me about all that. No, no, no. You said Jesus. You said the Messiah. You said there's a promise, resurrection, a new heaven and a new earth that He's come. No, 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 no. I don't care about what happened to me. What do you know? What do you know i think they're more as hebrews 12 talks about this great cloud of witnesses they're more enthralled with what you know than what we know here about them you think oh whoa they got out of exile and they're stirred and they're moved that's chopped liver in comparison to 2023 of men and women who are filled with god's spirit walking around in this world acting and working with god to bring about the new heaven and the new earth for those who are faithful to wait for it. That's a way better story than this one. I'm not worried about lightning because I'm right. What we know, what we have experienced, what we just did in communion together, celebrating the death of our Savior and his resurrection, should stir our hearts to be ready to move any way God wants us to. It's a greater story. But take heart. What we see even in the history, what everyone recognizes, believers and unbelievers alike, recognize the history of all these things, happened as they were prophesied would happen. Let that encourage you to fast forward to what we know about God's promises through Jesus, that it's going to happen. Whether you know it's happening, whether you got 35 years left, or whether it's 100 years from now, God's word's going to come true. Secondly, for us to hang on to, same thing I talked about earlier. This is God's world. We're just living in it. And that's not, oh, I'm not important. That's exciting to be a part of God's world and live in it with him, partnering with him. Thirdly, God still stirs hearts. And God, fourthly, God makes the impossible possible. It would have been impossible for the Jews to think about a king that had conquered them to be to be stirred so much to do this and then to fund it what that tells me is what I think is impossible is not through God I encourage you guys right now to think about what would be impossible impossible for God to do this year there's impossible things overcoming temptation pattern of sin that's been going on old crusty family dynamics, restoring intimacy in your marriage or between a a strange family member, or even with your children. How about new wisdom and discernment to be useful to God in new ways? How about someone who man, it's impossible to think that they would ever become a Christian. Not a church attender, a Christian living out the gospel, not just coming to church. Impossible. What do you look at in the world and say, that's impossible? I pray that this text already helps us to see, you know what, God can stir anyone's heart. God can move in anyone's life. So practices for us this week. If you don't have a reading plan to be in God's word regularly, I'm not talking about a little devotional from Bible Gateway, that's a chip shot to the rest of the rest of your day, I'm talking about carving out some time to spend in God's Word to let it stir your heart. Whether you've been a person that's read, avid, uh, read all the time or, you know what, I, I've never read the Bible before, I encourage you to jump in with someone here to read God's Word together. If you're a novice, like I was, I hate reading. Owen, oh, can I use an example? Oh, and I hate reading. You're like, you're the pastor. You hate reading? What's up with that? When I first became a disciple at 19, I hated reading. I couldn't tell you a book that I finished. Cliff Notes came out. I never read a book cover to cover, ever. But That's clean. Clifford the Big Red Dog, I think it was like the last <laughs> book I read from cover to cover. But, but having the Bible put before me was intimidating. Like, What? And then sitting across from a couple of guys that befriended me that seemed to know everything about it and I knew nothing. But like David and Noah and those stories weren't even clear to me. I was intimidated by that and that made me think, you know what, I'm not going to get into this. Maybe I'll just sit across someone and they'll tell me what to do. Maybe I'll just listen to podcasts from someone who went to school or has 20 letters past their name. Then I'll just learn from them. I'm not really going to be able to learn this on my own. Bogus. But what I learned is just little bites reading little sections, praying about that, letting God stir my heart, it became one of the most favorite activities just to get into God's word and see what was there. So if you're a novice or you've been doing this for 30 plus years, get a plan to read God's word consistently because God stirs our hearts through it. If you're a novice, meet with someone. If you're a pro, meet with someone. Meet together. To let God's uh, word stir our hearts. Get a plan and stick to it. And then I want to encourage us all here, every single one of us, anyone listening, watching, or watching later, is to write a list of a couple impossible things. Impossible. And write it down and commit to praying about it. It may be 35 years, it may be long after we're gone. But the faith that will come from men and women praying to our God who makes what we think is impossible possible will help our hearts to be ready for what he does want to make possible. I believe the men and women in verse 5 whose hearts were stirred, they were waiting for the impossible. And when they heard Cyrus, they said, wait a minute, I've heard that name before. Our prophets said he would be in rule so when he showed up i know it they're thinking is this the dude is this about to happen bruce is this about to happen it's happening and sure enough there were some that weren't surprised that they were going back home because they knew god's going to stick to his word the impossible is possible and our hearts can be stirred all along the way so let's do that Let our God stir our hearts once again, believe that he can stir anyone's hearts, and then us to be actively praying for the impossible to become possible. Let's stand, have a final song. Thanks so much for coming. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube, And like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.